We're in a message series called Prayer and Listening. We listen to God to determine what His will is. And then we pray and ask God to do His will. And so prayer is meant to be a two-way conversation. Uh, when we make it a one-way, one-way conversation, a monologue, simply telling God what we want Him to do, it, it doesn't work out so well. We need to hear from God to determine His will and then pray that will back to God. And today we're going to be talking about praying for others. Now it's perfectly fine to pray for yourself, and uh, that's certainly what God uh, likes us to do, and that comes fairly naturally for most of us. You know, when we're in trouble, when we want God to do something, we, we pray. Uh, as the old saying goes, there are no atheists in foxholes. You know, when we're in trouble, we're in danger, we, we call on God, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we mustn't stop there. Not only should we pray to God for ourselves, but we should pray for God's will to be done in the lives of others as well. That's part of our ministry as believers. And when we pray for others, the Bible calls it intercession. Let's look at the first verse today, Hebrews 7.25. In your bulletins, there's a white page. I encourage you to take it out. It has the verses written out. Uh, as well as the outline on the back are study questions that you can do on your own. We also go over them in many of the life groups. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he, which is Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And so Jesus is in heaven now. He's ascended into heaven and he's there interceding for believers. I believe he intercedes for people before they're saved, that they would be saved, and after they're saved, uh, that they would continue to grow in him and be protected. And as Jesus is interceding for believers, so we should be interceding for others in our daily prayers as well. Now, we can pray for all kinds of things for other people, things that are according to God's will. But this morning, I want to focus on the most important thing that we can pray for other people, and that is to pray that people would be saved. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people, circle that phrase, all people, to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so these verses tell us what God's will is. God's will is that everybody be saved. He wants every single person to be saved He wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth about Jesus Christ. That is God's will. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now in context in 2 Timothy 3 9, it's speaking of Jesus' return. Some people are saying, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? And here, God's word gives us the answer. Jesus has not come back yet because God is being patient. He's waiting. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for more people to be saved. He's waiting for more people to repent. Once Jesus returns, there is no more time to repent. It's all over. You're either a believer or you're not when Jesus returns. And so he's patient with us. He doesn't want anybody to perish, to go to hell. He wants everyone to to come to repentance. Now, and so it's God's perfect will that everyone is going to, that 
is his perfect will that everyone be saved. Now, does that mean that everyone is going to be saved? Now, here's where some people get led astray, especially recently. There's a lot of teaching going around that ultimately everybody's going to be saved. And the Bible does not teach that. Uh, that's called universalism. The Bible is clear on that, that many will refuse to repent and they will perish. Jesus taught that there are two roads. There's a narrow road and few people are walking on that road to life. And there's a wide road and many people are walking on the path to destruction. And those are the people uh, that have refused to repent and give their lives to God. And so here's where you and I come in as believers, if you're a believer here this morning. When we pray for God's will for a person, when we persist in that prayer, God will answer that prayer. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. And so what if we just confirm from Scripture is God's will? As for people to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants every person to come to repentance. And so 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, if we ask anything according to his will, then God hears us and he's going to give us what we ask. And so if we ask God to save people, it's his will to save people, he's going to work in their lives and bring them to himself. And so God wants each of us to pray for the salvation of our friends, of our relatives, of our neighbors, of our co-workers, of our schoolmates, and so on. It's his will that they be saved. And when we earnestly pray with faith, God begins to move by his spirit in their lives in ways we can't totally understand, and he draws them to Jesus Christ. I'd like us to watch a short video called The Power of Prayer, Praying for Others. We had the power of a praying mother praying for her child who was far away from God until she came to the Lord. And so today we want to learn from God's Word how to pray for those that we know who are lost, who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we faithfully pray in faith, God is going to work miracles just as it was happened in this girl's life, and those that we are praying for will be saved. And so in order for that to happen, we must first of all have a confident faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so there are several requirements for prayers to be answered. We already talked about one. What we pray for has to be in God's will. If we don't pray according to God's will, uh, the prayer isn't going to be answered. But the second requirement is that we must pray in faith, according to James 1.6. And this verse in Hebrews we just read explains what faith is all about. Faith is a confidence that what we pray for is going to be answered. Faith is an assurance that what we do not yet see will come to pass as we continue to pray for it. If we doubt when we pray, then even if we're praying according to God's will, God will not answer those prayers. James 1.6 says, if we doubt when we pray, don't expect to receive anything from God. So it's very important to pray with faith, to pray with confidence, to pray with assurance that what we're praying for is God's will and is going to be answered. 
Faith is an assurance that what we are praying for will happen through God. So how can we have a confident faith that the people that we're praying for are going to be saved? Well, we need to strengthen our faith. Romans 4.20 says, Yet he, this is speaking of Abraham, did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. And so this verse is speaking of Abraham who had a promise from God that he would have a son. But the promise was not being fulfilled. And he continued to pray for some 25 years as he and his wife Sarah got older and older. And what happens if you get older and older? What are your chances of having a child? Well, less and less and less. And they were really old already, far beyond natural childbearing years. And yet, his faith did not grow weaker. Sometimes our faith When our prayers aren't answered, what happens? It takes longer and longer, and our faith gets weaker and weaker until sometimes we stop praying. But Abraham didn't stop. He continued to believe God. His faith got stronger over the years until finally, at the age of 100, Abraham's prayer was answered, and the son of promise, Isaac, was born. And so God wants our faith not to grow weaker. He wants our faith to be strengthened for the people that we're praying for because... God wants them to be born again. God has a promise that he wants through our prayers and his spirit to birth people into new life with him. And our faith needs to be strengthened. So how do we strengthen our faith? Well, we need to feed ourselves on God's word. Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so this verse tells us how our faith can grow, how our faith can be strengthened. It's through the word of God. Now, how does that work? Well, as we read God's word, as we meditate on God's word, as we pray God's word back to him, our faith grows stronger. It says if we're eating spiritual food, if we don't eat spiritual food, we'll grow spiritually weaker. If we take in spiritual food each and every day, our spiritual life will grow stronger. Our faith will be strengthened. Now, when we're praying for people to be saved, the aspects of God's word that deal with salvation, that deal with his desire to save people, will be helpful to us. The verses that we read this morning will be helpful to us as well. That it's God, not God's will for anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. Oftentimes, God's Spirit, as we read His Word, will highlight a verse that is a promise, a verse that we can hold on to, that will build our faith as we pray for a particular person. When you pray for others to be saved, we need to have a confident faith a faith that persists, that doesn't give up. Charles Finney, many years ago, told a story about a Christian father who's had a a large family and his children had grown up and yet none of them had been saved. They were not walking with God. And one day, one of his sons became very ill and the son seemed on the verge of death and the father began to pray for the son that that he would be healed. But instead of being healed, the 
son got sicker and sicker and everyone was afraid that he was going to die. And the father realized that his son was headed for an eternity in hell if he died because he wasn't saved. He was not yet a believer. And so he, he prayed with passion. He prayed with everything that he had that his son would live and be saved. And finally, God spoke to this father and gave him assurance that his son would not die, that his son would live and be saved as well as the rest of the children. The father told the family that God had spoken to him, and they, they weren't so sure because the son was very sick. But ultimately, the son recovered, he lived, he was saved, and over uh, several years, all of the father's children were saved as he continued to pray and believe God for their salvation. And so God has placed people in your life, people that you have influence over, people that you know. It might be family members, it might be relatives, it might be co-workers, it might be neighbors, uh, whatever it may be, it may be friends. And God, if you have ears to hear, has placed those people in your life, people who are not yet believers, that you would pray for them that they might be saved. And so make a list of the people that you know who are not saved and begin to pray regularly for them that God would work in their lives, that God would draw them to himself, that they would come to him and be saved and strengthen your faith through his word and through his promises. Pray for God to reveal himself to these people. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The person without the Spirit, and that's speaking of unbelievers. Unbelievers do not have the Spirit of God living within them. People without the Spirit, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And this verse explains why people are not easily saved. You know, it's not so easy sometimes to see a person saved. God's word and its truth seem like foolishness to people. It doesn't make sense. God's word talks about things that you can't see with your eyes. It talks about things that you can't touch. It, it can't hear. And so it just seems like myths, fairy tales to many people. It simply doesn't make sense. And why is that? Because unbelievers don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them to help them understand and comprehend God's truth. And so when we pray for people who are lost, who are not yet believers, we must pray for God through His Spirit to reveal Himself to them. Our witness and the words we say are important, but I've learned long ago you can't argue somebody into being saved. Uh, you can win every argument, and until God reveals Himself to them, they're not going to believe. They're not going to be saved. God must be at work in a person's life through his spirit. Unbelievers' minds are veiled, the scripture teaches us. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And so not only do unbelievers think God's word is foolishness, it simply doesn't make sense to their logical minds. Here, there's another issue. It says that Satan, which is the God of this age, has blinded or veiled their minds. 
The things that seem so obvious to believers simply cannot be seen by an unbeliever. Now, this is not a, a matter of mental comprehension. It's, it's a matter of spiritual blindness that are caused that is caused by Satan and demonic forces that spiritually blind people to seeing the truth. And so we pray for this veil. We pray for this blindness that keeps people from understanding, seeing the truth, to be lifted, for their eyes to be opened, that they might see the truth of the gospel. We pray that people would come to repentance. 2 Timothy 2.25 says, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And so we pray that God brings <clears throat> conviction of sin to the unbeliever. That they will repent and turn away from their sin and come to a knowledge of the truth. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of mind with regard to sin. Rather than pursuing sin, when we repent, we turn away from sin. And not only do we turn away from sin, we turn towards God. We put our faith in God. And so we must pray for the lost to come to their senses, that they might escape the trap that they're in. They're in a trap of Satan, the Bible tells us here, that they would be rescued from that trap. When unbelievers are in Satan's trap, which they all are, they are not doing God's will. They are doing the enemy's will. And prayer can help them escape the trap and come to repentance. I read a story about a married couple named Mel and Paula Winger. They had many family members that they had prayed for over the years, and each of them had been saved. But Paula had a younger brother named Doug who had an ungodly lifestyle. And he was living in total rebellion against the things of God. He hated the Bible. And he didn't like to be around Christians, and he didn't like to be around Mel and Paula. And whenever they came over to his house, he would simply leave. He would walk out. He didn't want anything to do with Christians. He didn't want to talk about it. And so Mel and Paula decided to spend one night a week fasting and praying for Doug's salvation. They continued this for one and a half years. And Nothing happened. They continued for another six years, praying for him for seven and a half years. And finally, one night, Doug was, came to a Christian concert. And finally, the truth of the gospel penetrated his heart. And he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And Doug eventually became a pastor with a powerful evangelistic ministry all because of the prayers of his family. And so what happened? Persistent prayer broke down the things that were blinding Doug from seeing the truth of the gospel. Persistent prayers brought God's revelation into his life. The spiritual blindness was finally lifted, and he was able to see the truth, repent of his sin, and put his faith in Jesus Christ. And God can do the same for the people that you're praying for that God has placed on your heart. 
And oftentimes, we give up too soon. Talk more about that next Sunday. It's not an easy battle for many people to see them come to the Lord. It's not usually something that's going to happen in a week or a month. We're talking about years in these stories. In practical experience, it often takes years before God can break through somebody who's very spiritually hardened. Now, sometimes you don't know whether your friend, whether your relative is saved or not. In America today, the vast majority of people claim to be Christians, some 80%. So, I mean, if somebody says they're not a Christian, then you know. Okay, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. Okay, they're not a Christian. But 80% will say, and out of that, it's a very small portion are really, truly Christian. So how do you know if somebody is a Christian or not? Now, we're tempted, and somebody says, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. We're tempted to say, oh, great. Because what does that do? That takes the pressure off. We don't have to do anything. Yeah, they're already saved. You know, they, they say they believe in God and, you know, they're okay. So I'm off the hook. But you need to talk to them and see if they truly are a Christian or that's just a word that they say. You need to ask them, why, are, why do you think you're a Christian? Isn't that being tough on people? No, you're concerned about their eternal destiny. And if somebody can't give you the right biblical answer about why they're a Christian, guess what? They're not. And we go over the steps, the basic understanding every Sunday of what it means to be a Christian. We'll go over it again at the end of the service. And if somebody doesn't understand those basic concepts then they're not a Christian. Well, why do they have to understand all that? You have to understand that you're a sinner. You have to understand that Jesus died to take your sins away. You have to repent and put your faith in Him. You have to do that. It's not a matter of looking at a sunset and recognizing there's a God. That doesn't save you. It's all about Jesus. There's a lot of people believe in God, but it's all about Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no salvation. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. And so if first thing, you need to find out if somebody's a, a believer or not. You have to have that conversation with them. Ask God to help you with that. And then if they're not, you can begin to pray for them. If they are, praise God. That's a brother or sister in the Lord that can help you and praying for others as well. As we pray for people, we pray against spiritual strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says, For though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so every unbeliever has demonic strongholds in their lives, things that are keeping them from being saved, things that are keeping them from understanding the gospel. And prayer is one of the key weapons that God uses to demolish strongholds in people's lives. Through prayer, God can reveal to you, as you listen to what God is saying, what the strongholds in a person's life are that you're praying for. And then you can pray against those strongholds, demolish them, so that the truth of God can penetrate their lives. We demolish arguments, verse 5, as we continue in the passage. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so unbelievers 
have arguments about why they do not believe. If you talk to an unbeliever, uh, they'll tell you why they don't believe or they'll tell you what they believe in. They have it kind of figured out, most of them. Another translation here for pretension is a, is a lofty opinion. And probably the biggest argument, the most common lofty opinion that an unbeliever has is pride. Uh, as we said before, most unbelievers in America, they believe in God. They actually believe they're Christians. And if you ask them, why do you think you're a Christian? The most common answer will be that I'm a pretty good person. Um, I'm better than most. You know, I know a lot of people that are worse than off than me. And actually, the majority of people in America today do not believe that small sins will send you to hell. It's only the big things, you know. Murdering, uh, all the bad things. And, you know, if you don't do those, people think they're going to be okay. Little sins don't send people to hell. People don't believe that anymore. But the Bible teaches just one sin is enough to send you to hell. And so, people are prideful. They think they're pretty good people. They think that God is going to accept them into heaven. When they get there, they'll kind of compare themselves to some other people, and God grades on the curve. You know, they'll probably get a, at least a B, and they'll get in. So prayer is needed to demolish those prideful arguments. Pride in what, how good people think they are. Pride in their understanding of what salvation is about. Prayer is needed to cause a person to understand their hopeless state as a sinner. And that applies to each and every person. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just one sin is enough to separate you from God for eternity in hell. And each one of us needs forgiveness through Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And so we pray for God's truth to penetrate their hearts. Mark 4.15, Jesus said, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the seed that was sown in them. Now this verse is part of a parable that Jesus told, the parable of the sower. And in this parable, the seed that is sown is the truth of God's word. And different soils in the parable represent the condition of different people's hearts. In this verse, a person's heart is represented by a, a path that has been walked on. The, the ground is very hard. And when the seeds fall on the ground, they don't penetrate. And then the birds come and eat the seeds. The birds of the air represent Satan's demons. The word doesn't penetrate people's hearts, and before you know it, the demons snatch the word away. The people can't even remember what was told them, and there's no hope of them being saved. And so we must pray for the soil of unbelievers' hearts to be softened so their hard hearts would be able to be penetrated by the truth of God's word and begin to grow there. A single mom named Darlene had a grown son named Sean living in her house. But Sean had strayed far from the Lord. He never read his Bible. He didn't pray. He didn't go to church. And <clears throat> she really didn't think he was saved. And she began to pray and plead with God to intervene in his life. He had marijuana plants growing in his room. She cursed the plants. They started to die. Uh, 
for whatever reason, she began to pray, God, I, I give you my son. I ask that you give me back a brother in the Lord. Save him, God. And she prayed and prayed and prayed. And sometime later, Sean came home while she was having a small, Bible, small group Bible study in the home. And to her surprise, rather than just going to his room, he came into the Bible study, began to ask a lot of questions. And finally, to everyone's shock, he asked for God's forgiveness and he promised to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. It seemed to be an abrupt turnover, but it happened after praying for him for many, many months. And so ask God to give you insight into the strongholds in the lives of people you are praying for. And then begin to pray specifically against those strongholds that they be demolished and that the loved one would be saved. Many people have life-controlling issues that are keeping them from Christ or stunting their spiritual growth if they are believers. I mean, you can be a believer with a life-controlling issue, but it's, it's going to have a big impact on your spiritual growth. It's going to stunt your spiritual growth. And for many people who are unbelievers, these life-controlling issues are keeping them from the gospel. Life-controlling issues are things like drug addiction, alcoholism, sexual addiction, smoking, gambling, workaholism, anger, and the list could go on and on. And these spiritual strongholds need to be demolished in people's lives. We already had the announcement on May 18th, we're beginning the Stepping into Freedom uh, group. It's going to meet for 13 weeks. It's a Christ-centered 12-step program. And if you've been involved in the Insight group, the Living Free Insight group, a number of you have already, and you'd like to help others with life-controlling issues, we encourage you to sign up for the Stepping into Freedom group uh, to help out there. If you've previously had a life-controlling issue and you're living in freedom today, praise God. That's wonderful. But we encourage you to take part in Stepping into Freedom so you can help others because you have a testimony about what God has done in your life. If you know someone with a life-controlling issue, then pray and do everything you can to get them into this course. Now, when Jack Smart was here last year and he talked about the Living Free Ministry, he had the front full of people who knew people in their own lives, relatives who had life-controlling issues. You need to pray for those people. You need to do everything you can to get them to take part in this course that's coming up on May 18th. Now, the course will kind of be a, a, a revolving course. Uh, we'd love to have everybody come on May 18th, but if somebody just can't, it's going to continue. So if somebody comes in session two or three, they can jump in to, in any session and continue going as, the, as it's just going to start over again. And so uh, we'd like to have it filled up on May 18th, but if somebody just can't start that date, you can still jump in uh, at another date. If you currently have a life-controlling issue, and like I said, this is far broader than simply chemical addictions, okay? All kinds of things. And in fact, if each of us would look at our lives really closely, we all have something that's keeping us from full spiritual growth with God. There's people for whom worry is a life-controlling issue. There's people for whom fear as a life-controlling issue. 
There's all kinds of things we could just go on and on that are keeping you from uh, walking with God. So we encourage people to sign up uh, for that course. If you need more information, contact Mike Wallace. Raise your hand, Mike. There he is. And uh, he'll tell you more about it. But we believe that stepping into freedom is going to be a key to demolishing strongholds in people's lives and leading people that you are praying for to Christ if they're not yet a believer. And so today we focused on praying for other people to be saved. It's really the most important prayers that we can pray. And I'm convinced that we as a church do not do enough of it, that we need to persist and increase our prayers for those who are not yet saved. God wants our faith to be strengthened into believing Him that as we pray, these people will indeed be saved. That as we persist in prayer, God is going to work. It's His will to save people. Why aren't people being saved? Because we're not praying for them enough. People will go to hell because we don't pray for them. And so it's a very, the Bible speaks, it's a sin not to pray for people, actually. And so our prayers are essential to removing the veil, removing the blindness that are keeping people from coming to Christ, preventing them from seeing the truth about Jesus. And so we need to pray individually. We need to pray as groups. Bring up the, the names of people you're praying for in your life group. Let your life group pray for, for people to be saved. That God would demolish the strongholds that keep people captive. And as we increase in our prayers, as our faith get strengthened individually in groups and as a church family, we're going to see more and more people come to the Lord and be set free to serve Jesus Christ. How do you become a believer? Well, to become a believer, you need to admit that you've sinned. You've done wrong things. And that sin, no matter how little it is, is sufficient for you to spend eternity in hell apart from God. Secondly, you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross, took your sins upon Himself, and paid that penalty, the penalty of eternal death and hell. He paid that penalty that you didn't have to pay it. Invite Him into your life to forgive your sins and commit your life to following Him as your Lord and Savior. And those are the things you need to do to be saved. So let's bow our heads right now. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ before, you'd like to recommit your life to Him this morning, I'd encourage you to pray with me. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. And I ask for your forgiveness. I repent of those things. I turn away from them. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe He died on the cross, took my sins upon Himself, that I might be forgiven. I believe He rose from the dead. And I commit my life to serving Him as my Lord and Savior. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, this morning we thank You. We thank You for the privilege of cooperating with You in prayer to see other people come to You. We thank You for the privilege of cooperating in prayer to see Your will, as it's done in heaven, come to this earth and be done here. God, we pray that You'd forgive us for not praying for those in our lives who do not yet know You as much as we should have. And so we pray this morning, God, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would motivate us 
to pray for those around us who are not believers, God. Reveal yourself to them. Break through the veils, the spiritual strongholds that are keeping them from Christ. We pray that arguments they have in their minds and lofty opinions would be demolished. Give us the words to say along with our prayers. And may many in this church and many that we invite become part of this stepping into freedom course, Lord, that people might have bondages broken and strongholds demolished in their lives. And God, as we grow in praying for others, we pray that many would come to faith and many would commit their lives to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.